V-O-P-P, the greatest podcast in the galaxy. Dr. James Lee, Suzanne Leedy, his sister, my boy JB, the gorilla, my boy Maddie, and my two sisters. What do all of these people have in common? Well, they are all the graduates of the illustrious Columbia High School in Maplewood, New Jersey. And so is my next guest. You know, some people say they meditate, and maybe they're like me, and they do it off and on every few months, every five years, and say, yeah, I meditate. But my next guest, Oren Sofer, has been studying meditation and Buddhism and has dedicated his life to it for over 20 years. He is also the author of a book that just dropped in 2019. The book is called Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. In the book, he offers simple yet powerful practices to develop healthy, effective, and more satisfying ways of communicating. He and I met through our relationship with the gorilla over the years. But I was really excited to actually have a chance to sit down and break bread with him, crack his mind open, get his life story, and share that with the world. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Once again, my boy, Oren J. Sofer. I was writing up some, some notes for this pod, and mm. I, was, I was thinking to myself, you know, I honestly don't really know much about Oren because... I think we've only really hung out, spent time with each other, maybe a handful of times. So my first question to you is, yeah. we're linked by the gorilla. So yes. how do you know the gorilla? How do I know the gorilla? Um, I met the gorilla in middle school. Oh. Um, I remember the first time I met him because it was this, you know, you have those moments in life that just stand out for some reason and then you, you remember them. For sure. And I don't, I definitely, I have a very spotty memory for a lot of, a lot of things in life. And I, there are people I know who I have no recollection of when I met them, but isn't, for, that, for the, the, isn't that the worst that happens, I know yeah. like to this day, people will come up to you and be like, Oh, how's it going? And I'm like, what's up girl. <laughs> right. Right. I can't what's remember. Up, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I was at SOMS, South Orange Middle, and I remember walking down this one hallway and hearing this really dope beat coming from the auditorium. And I was like, whoa, what is that? And I'm pretty sure the gorilla went to Maplewood Middle, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was over at our middle school for some kind of like joint band gig or event or something and he was like warming up playing and i like pop my head into the auditorium and be like what is this you know like really funky beat and saw this guy you know with like spiked hair and earrings playing the kit this and i was like whoa like all right that's cool so i don't think we actually met then but i but i I registered who he was so that when I got to Columbia, you know, a year or two later, um, 
and saw him around, I was like, oh, that's that kid. That's that kid who plays the drums. So, um, and then, you know, actually now that I'm thinking about it, I don't remember how we met, like actually got introduced afterwards. But, you know, we, we hung out with crews that were overlapping in the kind of like grunge alternative scene. I got you. Yeah. Are you, what year did you graduate from Columbia? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're, you're 94? 95. Oh, you're not? Yeah, okay. I, I was a year behind you guys. I got you. So you're yeah. the Ari Ash, um, Lou Castelli, like that, that year, those kids. Okay. Maybe. See, I don't remember those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. So can we take a step back further now and uh, sure. talk a little bit about, so you, did you grow up in South Orange? Did you guys move there later on? Like what was your childhood? Yeah, I, I spent the first 10 years of my life in Teaneck up in Bergen County. Oh, wow. And then we moved to South Orange um, when I was in fifth grade. So I I went to Jefferson for fifth grade. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And uh, siblings? No siblings? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got an older brother. Okay. About six years older. Oh, wow. That's a big gap. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, as you get older, it becomes less less significant. But yeah, it was when we were younger. Yeah. It's the same. Actually, I have a younger sister who's six years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know i never i never overlapped with her in school and then right. i had another sibling after her who's 12 years younger than me so oh yeah um, all about the big gaps mm-hmm. so what was your uh, home life like would you say my home life <laughs> let's see let's i'm testing really testing your memory here or yeah well that's easy to remember um you know like anything else. It was a lot of things. Um, I mean, I grew up with a tremendous amount of privilege, you know, my, um, you know, I had my own room, for example, growing up, right? Like we went to good schools, good public schools in both towns. Um, my parents would take us, um, on vacation every now and then like my dad worked in the plastics industry and it was the 80s when the economy was was you know growing at a rapid rate because of reagan's policies and stealing from the poor and um so there was you know there were resources coming in and um so i grew up pretty pretty comfortably i I would definitely not say that we were quote rich by American standards in any way. And, um, being Jewish, my, my parents instilled a real, um, import, like a, a solid set of values around, um, money being something that you have to work for, that you have to earn and that you don't, you know, waste. And, um, being financially sound yeah being right with your paper. So I grew up, you know, I'm a kid of immigrants, so mm-hmm, right. Jewish ideologies are shared by yeah. every African that's in the United States, you know. Totally. And my, my dad is an immigrant too. He came here from Israel uh, um, okay. in 65 when he was in his early 20s. Gotcha. So, um, so you know, all that was great. And, um, you know, parents very loving, no, no real addiction, um, tearing the home apart. But one of my family members... Um, uh, when I was about 10, actually, when we moved to, to South Orange, um, 
developed mental illness and was in and out of mental hospitals for most of the next 10 years of my life and and their life from like, you know, age 10 to 20 until I was in college. So that was really hard. That was, Mm -hmm. it was, um, it was scary. It was disruptive. Um, the kind of family unit got really tense and fractured. And so that, that really influenced my childhood a lot and was its own, its own kind of trauma in a way. I don't, you know, I don't throw that word around, but it, it really was because there was a lot of um, emotional volatility. And um, and were you close with this person, or um, was one of your parents close with this person? Um, so I'm just going to keep them. Uh, yeah, you don't have to name. Yeah, them. yeah. It's it was someone in my immediate family. It's one okay. of the one of the four of us. And, I got um, yeah, relatively, relatively close. I mean, we grew further apart during that time because it was so intense. Understood. Um, yeah. Understood. And then yeah. as, a, as a young kid, so if that's in my family, I know mm-hmm. my family, I don't know if it's an immigrant thing or if it's just a my family thing, but everything's, uh, everything's, uh, are you cool with cursing, by the way? Is that... <laughs> Or do you, Shit, would you like no. to keep this clean? Oh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So everything's a fucking secret in my family. Uh, right. Exactly. It's yeah. like, can we talk? We can't talk about it. You have no clue what's going on. I'm the kid. I have no clue what's going on. So that, right. that I don't know for you, if that adds to like the discomfort and the, you know, it was, it, it was like that, but in a slightly different way. So the secrecy was, um, you know, my folks were pretty good about giving me information in an age appropriate way I gotcha. about what was happening, but the secrecy was about not telling anyone outside, uh, outside the family. The family. Oh. So it, so it created this sense of like, I can't tell anyone what's going on. I have to keep this all inside. Right. And so then that kind of set up this, you know, sort of weird psychology around there's something wrong, but I can't share it and I have to pretend and I'm hiding and like people don't really know me and, and all that kind of stuff. I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. So let's, let's move up a few years. Uh, college. Let's talk a little mm-hmm. bit about college. So where'd you go to school? Uh, I went to Columbia in okay. Manhattan. Yeah, NYC uptown. Um, and what's interesting about that choice and opportunity is that I, I chose to go to school in New York City specifically because I was a childhood actor, which you may not know. I did not know that. <laughs> oh, my God. So I was like, you know, from about the age of 12 until 20, I was going into the city and going to auditions and doing stuff. And I would run into Zach every now and then or Lauren at, you know, at something. Well, for um, the listeners, we're talking Columbia High School graduate Zach Braff and Lauren Hill, who were a year ahead of me. So class of right. Right, right. <laughs> How did yeah. I never hear this? This is I don't know. So what? What makes? It, so we got to go back a little bit. Take a how, how do we? How do we get there? Yeah. How the it's, hell? Are you like? It's pretty random. I mean, the data points are: um, we had a neighbor in Teaneck who was into the arts and drama. She was a director. She did a community play, and there was a role for a young kid. And so I 
um, I played that role in that play, which was on like local cable television or something. And I don't remember, but apparently I was very good at it. And so she encouraged me to continue pursuing it. I was about eight at the time and I was like, no, I don't want to, I'm having fun. (laughs) And, um, but then a few years later, um, I remember it was one of the Back to the Future movies, maybe like Back to the Future Part Two or something like that. That was the one, I think. uh, I had this. I had this epiphany about um, like the film industry and that you know because something about that movie got me thinking about life in some deep way at the age of twelve. You know, I don't remember the movie, but you know, there's something right about you know like not changing your past and then being appreciating people in your life because when they're gone, you miss them, right? Something, you know, look at you taking these like adult lessons. They're kind of like touching and personal about the, the movie. So I was like, I was like, Whoa. So, and so, so I had this insight, right. About like appreciating life or something. And then I had this like other insight about like, wait a minute, how many people saw that movie? whoa, like what if like all these people had that insight? I was like, that's really cool. So I was like, I want to be an actor and like get people to think about something really deep and important. Right. And so um, what I learned later in life, because um, obviously I didn't end up being an actor. Um, well, was that the, I mean, there were eight years, so you must have. There were, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, Make your, what I, make your point. Sorry. That's right. Not- no, no. So what I realized was that, you know, the real longing was to make a difference and right. to like reach people and get them to um, think about their life in a different way and, and wake up and be, be transformed in a way. And that, you know, the acting in the show business was, was a kind of um, sort of interesting strategy to do that. It was the sense of scale of being able to reach a lot of people. So that's what got me into it. And, um, so when I was, you know, so then I, I, I just basically called that neighbor and I was like, hey, like, I want to do this. Where do I start? So she hooked me up with a few agents in New York and started going to auditions. And so, you know, I did I did a few commercials like random, okay. random like Applebee's or Lifesavers commercial or things like that. And then I was on some cable stuff like uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, wow. And my my biggest primetime role was uh an episode of law and order uh which still airs sometimes on yeah. late night tv so if you're good. you can't sleep do you, know you might do you know the episode? the episode i could probably find it out it's <laughs> it, i think it's something like a crime of passion I, i'm the murderer in the episode Seriously? So. <laughs> yes yes um it's a small role i kind of come in and out but uh and, um, and then, you know, I was just talking with a good friend the other day about it because it's, it's interesting because I got really close to a few big parts. Like I was almost in um, Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio. I was almost wow. in this other film with Julia Roberts where it was like down to two people, you know, or three people for the part. And, you know, by the time I was at college, I had been doing it for so long that all the casting directors and agents in New York City knew me and I would get called for roles like by name. It would be like, uh, some of the people castingers would be like, we want Oren to audition for this. Or they would say like, we're looking for an Oren Sofer type. Wow. Wow. 
So, you know, like there was, there was definitely momentum there and stuff going. So I chose to go to Columbia cause I was, I didn't want to give that up. I was like, that was my MO was to kind of continue acting and, and doing that. Did you and ever consider going out to like my sister lives in LA? I did. Okay. I did. I applied to a couple of schools out in California. I got into one of them. Um, but ultimately I was like, you know, I want to be closer to family and I've got a good thing going in New York where people know me. I wasn't quite ready to be like, I'm going to go to LA and be a movie star. Um, and I wanted to go to a good school. I felt like, you know, if this acting thing doesn't work out, (laughs) it'd be be helpful to have a good education. So, um, well, it shows that you were still killing it in high school. Like you had other things going on, but you made sure, or maybe that was again, the Jewish focus, like grades, finances, grades, you got to be tip top with everything. Yeah. Well, you know, the other part of that actually was just to tie things together here was that the mental illness, um, situation kind of my way of coping was to be an overachiever and kind of um, be the straight a perfect kid who had nothing wrong going on so so my my coping mechanism was like stay busy basically and work hard and like it was you know I'm still recovering (laughs) it's it's so funny you have I'm the eldest and that's Uh like that eldest mentality all the way it's like exactly you're the first you're like the shining example don't Mm -hmm. f this up you know you're a reflection of the the, not only the the nuclear family but a reflection of i was the oldest grandson on my mother's side i was the oldest grandson on my father's side oh shit right don't mess up yeah and then do you guys have that like firstborn male patriarchy thing in your hell yeah. yeah So, (laughs) right. So, so I'm the youngest, um, which is, which is interesting, but, um, for various reasons, like, um, just emotionally and psychologically, I kind of moved into that role of the elder, elder child in some ways. Yep. Understood. Understood. So, at 20, because now 20 is, let me think. Like junior year of college, yeah. So why did you, junior year, were you just starting to think, okay, what am I going to do after I get out of here? And it's not this? Like what made you no, stop? I had sort of a, it's so cheesy, but it's, I had a spiritual awakening. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I had a crazy mushroom trip with the vanilla gorilla. Okay, that was a that was a key component where okay. I where like the the personality died and uh, um and then so I can think, you since you since you brought it up you uh-huh. gotta go into a little bit more detail there I wasn't gonna uh-huh. ask but since you brought it up uh-huh. how is uh, how was the experience give me like the setting give me like what's going on are there other people there. Yeah, it was just the gorilla and I. Okay. At at his house in Maplewood. The basement of a lifetime. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And um first time for psychedelics for you? No, no, it was not the first time. Okay. They were they were like they were just really strong and it was it was a weird night. Mm-hmm. And uh they came on really strong and things were just off in some way and I, my mind kind of just unraveled and this is, is just such a crazy story. 
Um, on, we need to get the full picture of Orin here. So, so no one is flawless. Let's let's hear. No, not at all. So um so we ate these mushrooms and things just started getting really weird. You know, like mm-hmm. you're gonna have a trip where like everything's flowing and then you have a trip, it's not a bad trip, but just where like the energy feels really tweaky, or you're just like for example, like we walked down to the playground at the end of the street and looking down at the ground, all the wood chips looked like like bones and you know, oh, skulls. It's like, oh, oh that's kind of like freaky. Like everything's dead, you know, oh, like seeing man. the dead trees. It's like, wow, everything dies. Everything's dying. And then like for some reason we're back at, at, at his house on the porch and like he turns on, we're watching TV, turns on the TV and like every channel is like people arguing. Yeah. or fighting or pictures of war it's just like all this like violence and anger and then like and then at some point i get this idea in my head that was like totally real i was like i'm gonna die tonight oh my god like tonight's my last worse. night on earth then you get that thought loop and you can't shake it oh but what was interesting is i was totally at peace with it i wasn't freaked out i was oh. like wow i was like i was like gorilla i almost said his name i was like gorilla i want you to know that if I die tonight, I love you. <laughs> and I'm really glad we're friends. <laughs> you know, and I kept like, I'm a really touchy feely guy. And at this particular point in time, the gorilla was definitely was not. not. Yeah. And so I kept like touching me. It's like, bro, stop touching me. <laughs> like, why you keep touching me? <laughs> so it gets weirder. So then I'm like, well, if I'm going to die, I need to be naked because I came into this world naked. Oh, this so, is fantastic. So I go up to his room and I like strip and like. I like take how off. you have to leave where you are to get naked to come back to him naked. So, I, so I like take off all my clothes. I take off my watch. I take off my necklace and like whatever. I had some jewelry I used to wear at that point, like some rings, whatever. And I'm like, I, then I don't remember then like I start blacking out, like my consciousness basically starts leaving my body and I'm like, there are gaps. I don't remember stuff. So I don't think I like went back downstairs naked. The gorilla could tell you, you might have to have a follow-up episode where you will get his version of this story. So, um, (laughs) I know you've heard the other mashups. So yeah. So, um, at some point I, I get the notion that I should call my father. Okay. And I don't know why. Maybe it was like to say goodbye because I was like, well, I love my parents. I'm dying. I should say goodbye to them too or something. (laughs) So I call my dad and I'm just like, you know, I am completely not coherent and I don't remember what I say or anything, but he's on the other end and he's like, so I, and I had like, I was, you know, I told my folks I was going to spend the night at his, at, at the gorilla's house and um so my dad's on the other line and he's like are you okay do you want me to pick you up or something and apparently i say yes (laughs) so um so then i i'm like i come back to the living room and i'm like gorilla my dad's coming to pick me up and he's like you're joking right i was like no he's like bro your dad is coming here to my house and like he's tripping balls we're both totally tripping balls <laughs> and, uh and you know i'm like uh yeah 
So he's like, you need to call him and tell him to not call. So I don't remember. The next thing I remember is like my dad's like pulling up, right? <laughs> and I'm inside and the girl's like, okay, you stay here. I'm going to go outside and talk to your dad. So the gorilla like does his best to like try to convince my dad that like your son's, and my dad did not know the gorilla at this point. Uh, they had not met. They did not have a relationship. So, you know, he doesn't know who this kid is and, you know, you know how, who the gorilla is and how he appears and comes off. So absolutely, this like, Plus, he'd just spoken to you on the phone and you were sounding all sorts of crazy. Exactly. So he comes outside, this like, you know, punk rock musician, green air, air, spike hair kid. I don't remember if he had tattoos at that point or not yet. And he's like, Mr. Sofer, your son's fine. He's going to be all right. I really think you just like let him stay with me tonight. And, you know, and and basically the conversation goes south and my dad gets angry. My dad's a big guy. He's oh, like is he? si- he's six one. Okay. And you know, probably 200 or more pounds at that point. Wow. And, um, he was in the Israeli army oh, and you know, so he was overweight and everything, but he's still like a powerful guy. So he ends up like, pushing the gorilla down onto the ground being like, I am going to get my son and take him home and you are not stopping me kind of thing. And like, God. so I guess like the gorilla goes inside and it's like, okay, or and your dad's here. Like, I guess time to come out. Or something. <laughs> put, put your clothes back on. You know, so I come out and I'm just totally loopy. I'm just like, get in the car. And I'm like, okay, get in the car. We're going to the car. You know, like what? So I go home. I'm still tripping. And I have memories of like sitting in the kitchen, talking to my parents and they're like, what is going, you know? And so the gorilla basically told my dad, he's like, look, your son took some drugs tonight. He's totally fine. He's just like not in his right mind, but he's going to be, he's going to be okay. The best thing you can do is just leave him here and let him ride it out. And you know, he'll be, you know, he'll be fine in the morning. And my parents were not hippies. Like they, Oh, interesting. Drugs, you know, like they smoked a little bit of pot, but like that was it. Yeah. And so they are just freaking out. They don't know what's going on. So they take me to the hospital because they're like, yeah, because they're like, you know, like I'm totally incoherent. I can't tell them what I took or how, you know, what's going to happen, how I am. And so they just didn't know, like, is he going to be a danger to himself? Do we like, what do we do? So they take me to the ER anyway. So my consciousness like totally leaves my body. I have this like, transcendent experience of basically like dying and realizing that like I have more to do on the planet and coming back into my body and waking up and believing actually initially I thought I was dead. I thought it was the afterlife. Wow. It was was this really fascinating experience where when my consciousness came back into my body I basically, I I understand now in retrospect what happened more clearly from the perspective of meditation, the meditation that I've done is that like basically the whole construct of reality and the narrative of my life and time was gone because everything was like I had let go completely. And, And so the first thing is like there's seeing. Right. And so I was like, oh, I'm in a room. 
but I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't know if the room was real or not, if it existed or not. It was just an image. Just like you ever see the movie 2001, the yeah, Space Odyssey? You know how after he goes through the monolith, yes. he wakes up in a room? Yep. It was like that. That was the experience. I was like, okay, I have no, I was like, as far as I know, outside of this room, nothing exists. Whoa. Which is actually the reality we live with yeah, all the sure. time. We just, we just create this narrative that if I walk out of this room, there will be another room and there will be another room. And we kind of like construct our reality exactly. moment to moment. So I then I like. It could be a whole life that right behind you. Like <laughs> if you turn around, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. So then I'm like, I don't remember the first, I think the first thing I said, I look around and I see my two parents and I was like, can you hear me? Right. So I'm like, I'm like testing reality. Like, does my voice work? Right. Like, and then I was like, do you see what I see? And they were like, my mom's like sarcastic. She's like, I don't know, Oren, what do you see? (laughs) (laughs) And then like within the span of probably about 10 to 20 seconds, everything comes back right like the story reconstructed itself i was like okay i'm in a hospital room with my parents and i'm still tripping (laughs) i was like shit (laughs) you know but those first 20 seconds were like really different and i was like oh shit so what did it that first like yeah that first like five ten seconds what did that what did it feel like to you well, it was totally free. It was totally open. Okay. There was no past. There was no future. There was like nothing, ev- anything and everything was possible because okay. the, mind, the mind was open and fresh. It wasn't living in the constructions of the past and the future. Right. right. Um, wow. So that was a really, so that was a, it was a very deep experience. And, you know, the, that experience and other experiences I had on um, psychedelics and with, with pot kind of, in, in high school and college, really, this was during college, sophomore year of college, right. really, you know, shifted my perspective on reality and, and the, way, the way those sorts of substances do and, and kind of indicated to me that what we know and experience is only a very narrow section of, mm-hmm. of what, what's out there and, and the, the, the possibilities of consciousness. And so I became really curious in exploring more of consciousness and like, well, what is going on here and what is it to be alive and what's possible with the mind. And I, for whatever reason, I wasn't probably some of my Jewish values. Like I just wasn't into like going down the, you know, Timothy Leary route and just like, (laughs) you know, or the Eric Hansen route for, you know, and just like dosing myself a bunch and trying all kinds of drugs. So, but it's interesting though, that drugs were because, Oh, they were definitely a component to yeah, open my mind. Yeah, same they, for me. Same mm-hmm. for me. And I had always thought in my head, you know, you don't need, and, and perhaps you don't, but in my head, I always thought you really don't need drugs to, to get your mind into a, a space where you can perceive things differently. Yeah or experience things differently or be able to step into other people's shoes. But That's right. I will say my experience is mm-hmm. again from the gorilla. The gorilla is like the nexus. Uh, he is. <laughs> you know 
because he was the one who introduced me to MDMA. And I, you know, uh-huh. I, had, I had never taken any drugs. Um, that is a very powerful substance. Oh, yeah. Is it not? It's, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if I'm going to share this with my followers on social media or not. It might just live out there. We'll see. I'm going to have to think about it, but um, yeah. I have taken that okay. twice. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it's a very beautiful, powerful, um, hold on. I got to sneeze while you sneeze. I, <laughs> God bless you. That was amazing. For, for me, I will say I've, I've been to therapy and yeah. say that taking that substance had, has done more for me. Right. It's like a year of therapy, you know? And <laughs> yes. You put it it's, succinctly. It, it, and it's 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 criminal that the government um you know shut down the research that therapists and psychologists were doing with it because right. it's such a powerful healing substance when it's used properly agreed and um whether it's you're talking about trauma or relationship co- counseling or um but to, to even to go to that it's like the that same level of empathy and heart opening is also possible through meditation and the the so the difference so what i what i've come to to see and know in myself and this is not unique as is you know many people would say this is that you know these substances can open a door in the heart and the mind um but then the door closes exactly. when you're not on the substance. And exactly. because the door was opened by the substance, you don't know, it, it, it's, it's common it's that you don't know how to find the door or open it again. Mm. And what's different with meditation is that you learn where the door is and how to open it on your own. And you can walk through it and actually start to live um, without only being on this side. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that, that's beautifully said. Yeah. That is beautifully said. The, and I so just, say, I just, I just going to make one more caveat. So like yeah. I do not take psychedelics anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's been over 10 years. I, yep. So like, this is, we're talking, right. We're talking um, decades ago right. and uh, in earlier phase of life. So. Yep. I will say for my, for myself, um, you talk about a door opening Mm-hmm. The thing, the the good thing about psychedelics it, for, for me was that I didn't even know there was a door there. Mm, right. <laughs> like, oh yeah. wow! You can not only is there a door, you open it up and you have this this other experience. So yeah, that that was the one good thing is that it it showed me again perspective and possibilities. And yeah. Stuff, so so now so now I'm going to flip the interview here. So my yep. question to you, Al. Yes. Is so how what are so for you like what what in your life helps you to keep that door open now like what have you found or how do you stay connected to those parts of yourself or those insights or perspectives that have opened up uh so having those experiences has has um how do i say it there are messages that come from those experiences that I hadn't, again, perspective that I hadn't considered before. So mm-hmm. for me, one is trying my best to live in the present. Mm-hmm. And two is how I am connecting 
with those that are close to me in my life and making sure that I do my best to be present with them when I'm spending time with them and, and kind of embracing the now, because I know Mm -hmm. that's the one thing having kids, I have two children. So Mm -hmm. the one thing that having kids shows you is that not everything, nothing is forever because Mm -hmm. it's like, Mm -hmm. I, I open my eyes, I close my eyes and my son is eight years old already, you know? (laughs) So it's like being able to just like, be with him and enjoy who he is now at eight years old and who he will be at nine and 10 and yeah. 11 and enjoy those. And also be thankful. So thankful for who he was, you know, my wife and I will, will sit, we'll be sitting mm. next to each other, texting each other, but we'll be texting pictures that we have of the kids <laughs> from the past and right. just being able to embrace that. So that, that's what it is for me. Yeah. We're going to get to me more later in terms of okay. what I can do in terms of outside of home life, because it seems that you've been able to expand that way of living beyond, you know, just interpersonal relationships into mm. like your daily working life and everything. So I'm curious to hear about that. But um, yeah, so 20 years old, you have this experience. Right. So that was at age 19. And then within the next year, basically, um, a bunch of stuff kind of fell apart in my life. Um, My folks told us they were getting divorced. Um, I had a big falling out with my friend group at college. Um, The woman I was dating broke up with me. Like, you know, things kind of came crashing down. Yeah. Um, And basically what happened was my sophomore year that year at college was really rough and um basically like the last eight years of running away from my emotions Mm -hmm. um and keeping really busy to avoid feeling anything caught up with me i gotcha and um so during the course of that year, I signed up to do the study abroad program. Um, and I knew I wanted to study abroad before I went into college because I had heard good things about some other guys I knew who were older who had done that and basically said, look, you know, if, you, if you're going to go to college, if you've got that opportunity, go study abroad. It doesn't matter where you go. Like, just get out of the country for a semester. It's going to do you good. I was like, okay, let's do that. And then I had... Um, I had heard from some of my friends all these amazing things about India. And I had one professor who was an India file and showed us all these pictures of uh, India. And so I was really interested in India. I was like, well, study abroad. India sounds cool. Like people have had really like powerful experiences there. Like maybe I'll go to India. So I looked, so I was looking at study abroad programs in India and I found this one program where you live at a Buddhist monastery and use no sex, no drugs, no alcohol. Uh, you get up at five every morning and meditate. And I was like, dude, I need, I need that. You know, I was, I was smoking a lot of pot every day at school. I was, you know, chasing women and like, I was just so dysregulated and disconnected from myself. I just wanted to clear the slate. I was just like, God, I just want to like detox everything and kind of like, get some perspective and like figure out like what's going on. Like, 
you know. And, and this, you know, is, that, this mm-hmm. is like a like when people do a semester abroad. This is what this was. It's like a, yeah, yeah. Oh, so wow. so I signed up for this program during my sophomore year, and um, you know, it's also that age in one's life. You know, late teens, early twenties, where you're trying to figure out like who am I? Oh, and yeah. Why am I here? What is what is all this? You know. I wish people at when you're that age would tell you. <laughs> You know, at, when you're 40, you're going to feel exactly the same way. <laughs> There's no mm. end. It's like a constant journey. <laughs> mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, so I signed up for that program, and uh, it changed my life. You know, I, w- I went over there, and I discovered um, I discovered the Dharma, the, the teachings of the Buddha, and it... Um, it was like a revelation, you know, just the very, from the very first night of wow. uh, he- hearing uh, the two meditation teachers talk about what the Buddha understood and the path that he um, discovered. I was like, oh my God. I was like, this is why I'm here. And I don't mean like here in India. I mean like here on the planet. I was like, this is, it felt like this just is total homecoming. I wow. was like, I've been waiting for someone to say these things my whole life. And so that was a huge, I went through this tremendous transformation. I, I was there for six months. I stayed, okay. I did the study abroad. I took a semester off and stayed and traveled and practiced and, and so this is something else you can also ask the gorilla about if you want to do a mashup is just before and after oh, India. <laughs> it was a 180. It was a total 180. And so, you know, I went from like straight A clean cut actor boy um, on the surface. And obviously I was like smoking pot and doing drugs. You know, I had this kind of like alter ego, but that wasn't like out in the open to, you know, long hair, bearded, spiritual hippie guy. And like, I came back pretty altered. I was, I was in an altered state of consciousness for, for months after that trip. Right? Months? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It took, it took a while for things. It took a while for things to start to come back into balance. And it took, it took so, several years to integrate the experience that experiences that I had over there. Um, so there was a lot of change and transformation. And basically when I came back, I was, I just saw things so differently. And, um, I, I, so I gave up the acting and some of it was, some of it was, was, um, not, not balanced. Some of it was a kind of rejection of my former self and Mm -hmm. a, and a reaction where I was like, I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be this person. Right. And it was a, it was not the clearest or most balanced decision, and it was the best decision I could make at the time. So I gave up. I just left the whole thing behind, and wow. I changed changed my major from English to religion, and started going to meditation retreats, and kind of just took a sharp left turn in my uh, in my life. Wow. Okay. So let's back up a little bit. So where number since my wife is Indian, where where were you in India? Um, I was, uh, so the monastery is in Bodhgaya in Bihar, okay. which is in, in the North. It's between, um, Benares and Calcutta. Okay. I gotcha. And, uh, and then I traveled around for a few months. I went to, um, I went down South to Tamil Nadu and Kerala. Where's your wife from? She's from Tamil. We will be there in two weeks. She's from wow. Tamil Nadu, from, uh, from Chennai. Chennai. Okay. Yeah. What's the water situation like over there right now, by the way? Uh, I haven't heard. I mean, usually when things are like really going down, we hear it from our parents. Uh-huh. I haven't heard okay. anything from 
especially yeah, I mean, since going to be there with the kids in a couple of weeks. They yeah. Okay. Because I know last year the monsoons were really oh, yeah. wet and they ran out of water. Oh, in yeah, the yeah, city. yeah. It was intense. Yes. Yes, yeah. that is true. Yep. So, yes, I visited Tamil Nadu and Kerala and then went out to Rajasthan up in the, in the Northwest. And, okay. Yeah. Wow. And you said no, no sex, no booze, yeah. no drugs. No sex, no drugs, no alcohol. That was during, that was, that was, um, during the program. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got you. I got yeah. you. Those things, those things kind of, <laughs> those took a lot longer to work out afterwards. <laughs> so did you, uh, you meet anybody in those, in those six months? Well, one, did you come from Colombia with anybody or you went? No, I went alone. I, I made okay. some really good friends. Some of them I'm still in touch with. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. But no, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't hook up with anyone. There was no, there was no, there was no hanky panky going on. Yep. Yep. But, but I, I, I did. I did enjoy some bang lassi and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, co- that coffee is out of sight. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Wow. So you come back and and you basically bring back India. Well, you 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 were there not only that six months. You said you you stayed on for another six months, right? Well, no, I was there for three months. The program was three months, and then I stayed on for another two or three. After I got gotcha. you. It was, it was a six month trip in, okay. in total. Yeah. And then, so during this time, are you calling back home? Or are you? Yeah, yeah. I stayed in touch with the folks. You know, okay. I would write, write letters and call my folks. Well, Jesus, my parents were so, I put them through hell. They, oh, they, were, they were so freaked out. Like, <laughs> just even my going to India, they were like so afraid and nervous. And then I came back and was so different. And their nice Jewish boy was like turning into a Buddhist. They were, uh <gasps> God bless them. They had such a hard time. They actually, they told me, they told me very recently, actually, it took them a long time to even tell me this. Like in the last couple of years, they told me that when I came back from India and like, you know, I'm meditating and I like my long hair and, um, you know, uh, just your whole vibe is different I'm into sure. buddhism walking, I, 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 you're walking I, I, slower <laughs> exactly and i like changed i changed my major at, at college they went to see the rabbi oh and they were like rabbi were they religious like that though or were they, they were, were like- not that's the thing <laughs> <laughs> these are like super reformed jews like you know after the bar mitzvah we did not go to synagogue so <laughs> They go to the rabbi. They're like, Rabbi, we're really worried about Oren. They were so they were like, should we pull him out of school? You know, they wow. they they wanted to take me out of Columbia because they were like, look, we're paying for most of this. You know, mm-hmm. we don't like what you're doing with it. And the rabbi, God bless him, he was. You know, he he said it's just a phase. You got to let him live his life. Don't worry. You know, it's going to be okay. So, and I, I did not know this rabbi well, and, but I, I got to give him credit Bob's, for, you Bob's know, there. yeah, like let, let the boy live his life, let him find his own path. <laughs> it's a phase, but it's kind of been a it, longer phase. <laughs> it was not a phase. Fa- it was not a phase. <laughs> I mean, the external appearance and the, the extreme, the extremeness of it and the out of balance, that was definitely a phase. Right. Right. Well, it was it out of balance or would you have been in balance if you stayed in India? You know what I'm saying? Oh, no, it was totally out of balance. Oh, uh, okay. 
Okay. It would it wouldn't have. I mean, some of it was the culture shock. Um, but yeah, no, my yeah, I was not. I was not. It wasn't dangerous in any way. But you know, you meet people and they're just like a yeah, little extra. spacey. Yeah, I was I just know. like I was a little spacey. Was I was like on another plane. You know, like <laughs> I, someone would ask me a question and I would like take a deep breath. Oh my god! And I'd be like. I close my eyes, you know, and then I would like, and then, but what was, you know, like, so, okay. So let's, this is like 1998. Okay. This is before all the mindfulness stuff and all, right. So this is like meditation was not a thing in pop culture. And so, and it was sincere. It wasn't like, I wasn't like putting on a show or trying to be spiritual. I was like, really like just like in another place and like feeling really connected to myself and you know experiencing time in different ways and so and i would close my eyes and then like i would like like (laughs) sit there for like a minute you know and and the person be like (laughs) oren like are you gonna answer my question like what do you want for dinner i don't know this is like it would be a more meaningful question but like literally things like that where it was like i was not you were that guy (laughs) i was that guy and so um and it you know it started to come into balance slowly but um particularly when i first came back the first few months were were different it was really different but you you said basically from five minutes after you arrived in india and you sat down with those two those two instructors or whatever they mm-hmm. were like oh this is this is it this is this is this is the spot this is where i need to be this is like a new beginning like yeah i mean it was a little bit it was it was um it was a dramatic shift it wasn't from the moment i got to india i mean the first the first few days were just like overwhelmingly intense culture shock as you probably know from having gone over there it's just like what you what well, alternate you reality good thing you went to the north first because you <laughs> land in chennai it's like mm. some massive people so many people well so I, actually I, have you been to the north no no all right so the the south india is is easier oh wow the north is harder the north is much harder and we landed in Delhi. We spent the first two or three days in Delhi, okay. so it was okay. it was nuts. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. North India, my experience, and what a lot of other people kind of uh, will say is that North India tends to be, um, yeah, harsher and harder uh, in many ways. The culture, and South India, which is is. Um, Basically, this is the interpretation that I've heard, but the culture in South India is different. Um, it's closer to more like ancient Hindu oh, yeah. culture because the Muslim invaders didn't get that far south. Right. So the culture stayed uh, different and, yeah. and kind of like softer. So there's, a, there's less of an edge in South oh, India. Interesting. interesting. So, so I was like just super culture shock. But so, and then... You know, we get to Bodhgaya and I was just like, why the, you know, am I here? Like, what is going on? What did I get myself into? And then it was the first night that we heard the, met the teachers and heard the teachings that I was like, oh, like, this is why I'm like, this is what I've been waiting for. Okay. And it was this very interesting process of like, 
like my heart knew as soon as I heard them speak, my heart knew, but my mind wasn't convinced. My mind was still like, well, I don't know. And so this is interesting that that first night after everyone left, after the program was over that evening, I stayed up and I sat in the meditation hall by myself and I kind of like just reflected on things. This is a very interesting process of observing my mind kind of need to walk through the logical steps cognitively to catch up with what my heart already knew. Mm, I gotcha. And then it was like, yes, you know, like my mind can actually get behind this, but my heart was already on board. It was like, okay, this is done. Like I'm, mm. I'm signed up. Once the heart makes a decision, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's almost a done deal. Yeah. Wow. So where, where are we at time wise here? I kind of haven't been tracking, but I, I have, I've got like an hour if you've got, not that we're going to use an hour, but you know, I can, let's, let's take another like 10, 15 ish. Okay. Maybe we go 20 if we need, but okay. yeah. All right. So what's next for you then? Now you're back, you finish up school, like you make a promise to your parents. All right, I'll finish up school and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I ended up. I kind of, um, I kind of floated for a number of years. I I, I did seasonal work, um, working at a summer camp and teaching environmental education in the off season, and then I would um, travel and sit meditation retreats. Okay. So I was. Um, just kind so, of was it a lot of like I'm doing this work so I can pay and do what I want to do? Or yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I still loved the work. It was great fun, you know, yeah. going to the summer camp and teaching kids environmental ed. It was, it was all that was also very nourishing and just good people and good times. Um, and then I would, you know, in the off season, I would, you know, take a road trip out west or hang out somewhere and meditate and go do meditation retreats. I mean, again, it's just like very, very fortunate and privileged to like have the conditions where I had the flexibility and the freedom to, to do that sort of thing. Okay. And then eventually I went to Japan. I, 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 how did um, that come up? I got a job as a program assistant on another study abroad that was connected to the one I did in India. Oh, that was an, it was a new study abroad program, a Buddhist studies program okay. that was happening in Japan and they needed a program assistant. And so that was amazing. I got to visit Japan and practice Zen and explore over there. And, um, and eventually, so then, um, can you comment? Sorry, can you comment on the difference between the two Buddhist cultures? Going, oh my, wow. <laughs> well, first <laughs> like of all, what, India, was the, what was the main thing in right. Japan where you were like, "Oh, this is." Well, this India is not a Buddhist culture, right? So, right, right. Buddhism is kind of was sort of driven out of India in the 12th century, right. and it, it it has you know reemerged in small pockets. But India is, is Muslim and Hindu culture, right? Um, but yeah, no, Japan is is vastly different from India. It's uh, I mean, it's a first world nation to begin with. True. So you just, you know, the, just the level of affluence and wealth there. And mm -hmm. then consequently the level of, you know, cleanliness in the cities and technology and homelessness. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so very, very different and just completely different culture and aesthetic. And 
Um, but the, the, the Japanese Buddhism is, there's all kinds of Japanese Buddhism, but it's very, very different than early Buddhism. The Buddhism that originated in India and then traveled to Sri Lanka and Burma and Thailand. Um, it's uh, kind of blended in different ways with Japanese culture and, and certain aspects of Shinto, the Shinto religion, which is connected to the indigenous religion, religion that was there in Japan. Okay. So, um, okay. so, so kind of the next major just sort of movements of my life. One of my teachers died um, suddenly and one of those first two teachers I met and um, that was very shocking kind of wake up call for me. And so I decided to go back to India to see this other teacher who was in his eighties. And I was like, man, I, well, I got to get back there if I want to see this guy and learn from him. Um, His name was uh, Manindraji. He was a very um, important figure in, in modern Buddhism in the West. He was a teacher of a lot of the, teachers who are the kind of founding leaders of the insight meditation movement here in, in um, the United States and uh, Europe. And so I met him at the end of his life. I was very fortunate to get to study with him. So I went back when I was 23, I think, okay. 23 or 24, um, just kind of indefinitely to go live over there and study with him. And, and then I did these really intensive meditation retreats. They're called Goenka style meditation retreats. Um, and a lot of stuff came up. And again, I got really unbalanced, but this time it was, it was a, a more unhealthy kind of unbalanced where psychologically I was just really um, dysregulated and overwhelmed and <clears throat> a lot of anger and fear coming up. And um, so I ended up needing to leave and come back to the States because I was just not doing well emotionally or psychologically. Right. And um, so I and came all this back. Stuff, this, all this stuff comes up from meditation? Yeah. Like, well, wow. what meditation does, and, and this is like one of the, one of the most common kind of misunderstandings about meditation is that it's about feeling peaceful and kind of stopping your thoughts. And um, meditation puts you in touch with, with what's actually true. Oh right. <laughs> You know, so you start to actually get in touch with whatever you've been suppressing and like all the parts of yourself that you try to avoid and like you have to face all that shit if you want to actually be free. Right. Um, So all of that stuff comes up and you learn to be with it. You learn to understand it. You learn to um, not fear it and Mm -hmm. find a different way of processing it. Mm -hmm. So but that takes support and guidance and skill. And I didn't have um, that level of, of support over there that I needed for a variety of reasons. Right. So I came back and I got really depressed and living in my dad's attic, you know, and um, in West orange now, cause they were split up and I canvassed for a while for a local environmental organization. And, and then I got a job as a cook at this meditation center in Massachusetts. So, <laughs> Um, so I moved up there and, uh, joined the community there and was living there, lived there for a couple of years, um, cooking and meditating. And that was a real turning point when, you know, I got into therapy and, uh, met some really good teachers who were able to help me with the meditation and, um, things started kind of 
coming together for me more. So maybe for the folks that are listening, what are, what are the things that you did differently in Massachusetts that, that led you to have more uh, of a peace of mind that you weren't getting in India? Well, I mean, a huge piece is that I had community. Ah, okay. I was really isolated in India. I was not part of a community. And the, the structure of the place where I was, was was very, there wasn't any kind of guidance. And so I just didn't have the relational and emotional support I, I needed. See. That was probably probably the most significant factor. Okay. Which is, which is um, interesting because people think of meditation as a very solitary thing. Yeah, but of course. But you need... <laughs> Once the shit comes up, you need other people to even do it. <laughs> even before the shit comes up, it's like to really have a healthy experience of solitude, you also need connection, mm. right? If we yeah. don't have healthy connection in our life, then solitude is imposed and, and is, is about avoiding human contact and vulnerability rather than um, experiencing the, the beauty and... I'm just kind of sensing what I want to say here. The, the beauty and the mystery of solitude. So um, we need connection and community to go inside and vice versa. You know, if you're, if you're always with other people and you're never, you can't be with yourself, what right. kind of a relationship do you have? If you can't have a relationship with yourself, you can't actually have a fulfilling relationship with someone else. Yeah, Absolutely. So that was one of the major things. And then I was also, I was also doing, I started to learn different techniques. I started to learn different ways of working with my mind and the technique that I was doing over there in India, which is a, it's a basic meditation technique of body scanning. But when you do that, it's exclu- like um, relax your toes, relax your knees, relax your hips. Uh, a little different. It, okay. It's, 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 um, it's similar in the sense that you're moving your attention through your body part by part. Right. Um, but instead of the aim or the focus being just relax, you're, what you're doing is you're training your mind to be aware of um, the different sensations in, in every part of your body and, and learning to relate to those sensations with balance and non-reactivity. Okay. And so you're, you're moving your attention through the body in a very kind of regimented and systematic way. Like think about like the surface area, think about the size of a quarter. Oh, wow. And then imagine moving your attention kind of like, um, like a, a flashlight. That's the, the beam is this, the width, the diameter of a quarter over the surface of your whole body from one part to the next from head to toe from toe to head for like an hour an hour oh my gosh (laughs) so you're doing that right and so like and that's the only thing you're doing they don't give you any other tools they don't tell you how to work with your thoughts they don't tell you how to work with your emotions they don't tell you how to work with reactivity the only instruction is just go back to sensation and what that does very quickly is it brings up a ton of mental and emotional material and if you don't have other tools or guidance for how to process that it's easy to get unbalanced okay so what did you do differently in in mass well i stopped using that technique (laughs) for one and started doing a different technique so there's another technique of practice that's um uh, using an anchor, which is like uh, the breath or sens- like the sensations in your hands or sound where you just rest your attention with one 
uh, place and develop some stability and, and concentration there. And then you start to slowly open your awareness to other experiences, thoughts, emotions, sensations, memories, whatever's coming. Um, but it's a less regimented. It's more of a flow. So you're more just kind of like observing whatever's happening in your direct experience rather than kind of having to follow this pre-scripted regimen. And so so it's more conducive to a sense of ease and, um, and balance in many ways. And it depends on the person and so forth. So it's interesting. Your meditation has kind of mirrored your life. Uh, this is interesting. Yeah. Structured. It was initially, right. You kind of had to break out of that and and go with the flow and do your own thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, what was interesting, the first, the first five years I was doing that more open style of practice. It was only when I, when I went back for the first four years, when I went back, when I was 23 for that brief period of like three or four months, when I did this intensive practice that I got really unbalanced. I see. Am I missing a part? I feel like I'm missing a part of your, maybe you already talked about it, but I thought, I, I'm dumbing it down, but I thought you lived in a cave <laughs> ah. for, for like five years or for four years. And then was there, was there not a point in time in your life where you were living off somewhere? And I, I know, I know what you're thinking of, but it's funny to hear <laughs> Talk to me about that cave life, Oren. Cave. I definitely did not live in a cave. Um, but uh, I know people um, who have and uh, or who have done, you know, very long, intensive self-retreat, solo okay. retreat. Um, that was not me. But I did ordain as a monastic for three years. Oh, okay. So that's what you were thinking. When the yes. gorilla got married. Yes. I was in Rome. My wife was like, yeah, she was my wife at the time. She was like, well, who's that dude over there with the, the, it's, it's the white guy, robes and yeah, the shaved head? Exactly. Is he the one who's going to be marrying the gorilla? Ah. Like, no, nah, <laughs> that would have been funny. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so in my 30s, um, it's interesting because there have been these, there have been these kind of cycles in my life. And um, so, you know, like 19 to 25 was this one cycle. And then I ended up at the meditation center and started like actually healing and digesting stuff. And, um, and then, I mean, I could go back further and be like, you know, until the age of 10 or 11, when the mental illness thing happened in my family, that was one cycle. And then from like 11 to 19, when I was like actor boy and do it mode, get it done, that was another cycle. And so then, so 25 to 32 or so was a cycle where I was, you know, meditating and developing as a young adult and moved out to California. I worked in nonprofits, kind of like started a band, you know, dating. Um, Yeah, the Gorilla and I recorded an album. Yes, I have that album. Okay, good, right. So, um, Did you find California to be more your speed? Yes, that's why I'm still here. It's crazy. I was just out there, a little sidebar. I was just out there for business, and my sister lives in LA. The business uh-huh. is in Beverly Hills. Uh-huh. And I was out there, and I was like, I was talking to my sister. I'm like, you're from Jersey, right? Doesn't it drive you crazy, like the speed of things? And how? she's like, yeah, still does a little bit. Uh-huh. It doesn't drive me crazy at all. It's actually Love too it. fast for me here. Uh-huh. LA is. I mean, LA is closer to, is faster than up Agreed. here in Northern California, but it's still like, 
just even being here in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's just like, man, people got to slow down. It's <laughs> too much. So, um, so when I was in my early 30s, again, I had this, uh, I had another breakdown <laughs> where um, I had this, which is, so the album that you have yes. came out of this one relationship. Most okay. of those songs, it's a love, it's a love, so love album. And so this woman, um, you know, summer romance, uh, spring romance, and just like head over heels, super intense, and you know, just uh, totally passionate, and then like crash and burn. Wow! You know, within three months, and I was just wrecked. I have never, I have never been so devastated from a breakup. It was just like awful i was shattered and and um it shook me and i had been kind of already you know just kind of questioning things like i was basically like everything was going great Mm -hmm. and it wasn't enough i was like you know like i'm just not feeling it it was you know like I was dating, I had a good job, I was, you know, like having fun with this amateur band of a couple friends of mine and, you know, I had a place to live in the Bay. I was like, things were great. Mm -hmm. And yet I felt this emptiness of like, there's got to be more to life. Like why, you know, like I was meditating too. I was like, had a spiritual practice, you know, and and still I was just like, I just don't feel like I'm connected to myself in the, in the way that I want to, or that I have the direction I want in life. And so it's so wild that you kind of had the answer early on, but mm-hmm. it took a while for you to come back to the answer and, and come back to realize yeah. like you want to affect people in a, in a yes. positive way uh, a, at a, at a larger scale than right. you might be able to do as like a teacher or something. Right. Like right. And so like as a school teacher, exactly. So, you know, and, and what it was is just like another layer, another like deepening or shedding of like the sense of identity and like the role, the roles in the world. And so I had earlier when I was living at the meditation center, I had connected with this one um, monastic teacher, this uh, monk from England who has since become my kind of primary teacher and uh, had stayed in touch with him and he had been encouraging me and I had expressed interest in coming to the monastery. So I took a, I took like six months off to go to England and stay at his monastery just as a lay person and say like, see what it's like. And, and I loved it. Hmm. And I was like, I want to come back. And so out of that experience, I decided to take a year off and ordain as a monastic in this Buddhist one Buddhist tradition and um just explore what that life was like and that one year turned into two years which turned into two and a half years and so that was the period that you're thinking of where i I was really off the grid and just (laughs) living living i lived at two different monasteries one in england and one in canada and um and then stepped out yeah so how in a typical like if i were to to do this is there a typical time frame like a college degree where it's like after two no not really so i mean people the monastic world in this tradition of um 
Theravada Buddhism and out of Thailand. It's it's common for people to ordain as a novice or um, a postulant might be the appropriate word. Okay. It's um, kind of a pre, it's even pre-novice. It's like the first stage of uh, ordination where you're basically like an apprentice of sorts. Um, but uh, that's usually a year. People will do it okay. for a year. And that's a common thing. You do it for a year and then step out. It, in different Buddhist traditions, it's different. So there are places in Burma, for example, where you can go and you can ordain as a monk for a week. Oh, wow. You could ordain as a, as a full monk, like for a month or six months. So it's different in different traditions. The one that I was in, you usually you do a year in white, then you do a year in brown as a novice. And then after that two years, if you're still on board then you would take full ordination as a monk so i see so i stayed in the white phase for two and a half years which is long most people yeah. don't do that because i i wasn't there were other other kind of factors i had some health issues and i i had i couldn't eat some of the food that was offered and there's a whole okay. thing around food when you're a monk is a lot of details that doesn't make sense to go into but so oh, i, I in, mean just from my own memory i remember you telling me that we eat it was something like we eat once a day. And it was yeah, well, we, eat, we would eat, um, we'd have a light breakfast and then have the main meal around 11 a.m. And then you don't eat in the evening. So, mm. yeah, Heavy. that's one of the, that's one of the training trainings is just a simplicity. You don't, you don't really need to eat in the evening. You can right. get, you can get by with, with a light breakfast and a big meal. Yeah, in, for sure. Midday. Wow. So, yeah, so that was, that was a few years. And then I eventually decided that, you know, it was time to come back to my regular life. And now was, was that another gorilla experience that, that made no. you say, okay. <laughs> no. oh, excuse me. It was not, that was, um, that was just kind of, that was kind of O-Dog figuring out what, you know, what felt right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So now let's, let's get, cause we've got like five minutes left, but yeah, let's, let's get to like what, because you're still doing things but you're do you feel like you're doing things broadly or for other people or serving the way you feel like you should be yet or thank you yeah um i definitely am doing <laughs> am doing things for other people uh that's that's my that's my kind of mission is to help other people um, with the tools that I that I teach of meditation and communication. Okay. Um, so I just I just this is sort of like just a side note. Kind of this other trajectory has been kind of around the same time twenty five twenty six. I came into contact with nonviolent communication and started learning about interpersonal communication, and that became another core part of my path and kind of became integrated into my meditation practice. So, so today I, so I teach meditation and communication, um, and you know, so I teach classes and workshops and retreats and online classes around the country and online. And um, so I do, um, I do feel uh, like I'm, doing what I love and what I was put here to do. Okay. Um, and at the same time, because there's so much changing in our world right now, 
um, politically, environmentally, economically. I, I, I always, I, I am in a continual process of reevaluating and trying to figure out like, am I doing enough? Am I, is what I'm teaching speaking to what's needed in the right way at this particular moment? And I'm still learning myself and I feel like what I'm offering and sharing continues to grow and change both as I learn and also as the conditions in our, in our society, in our world change. And that's my, that's, that's my, you know, my hope and my intention is that I can continue to learn so that the work that I do and what I offer is, is relevant. Okay. And I, you know, I think that the, the, the challenge of a lot of what, what we're living through right now is that none of the old models work mm-hmm. and that the, the mo- even the model of, the teacher who knows something sharing with the students who are learning is a very patriarchal kind of, you know, domination model that um, reinforces the sense of there being one person who's the authority. I see. And I think that what the kinds of problems that we're facing need more collective action and more um, community uh, response. And so, you know, a lot of the conversations I'm having with colleagues and in some of the communities that I'm a part of are, you know, how does what we do, how can what we do support that sense of more collective awareness, collective action, community building? Because that's really, you know, what's needed is a, is, a, is a movement to change the institutions of our society that doesn't happen by individuals doing something. Right, right. Yeah. The one thing you didn't speak about is, you know, we've been trying to, we've been trying to have this pod since January. I looked it up. Mm, Yeah. And for a a big portion of like Q1, Q2 of this year was you being on a book tour. That's right. Can you go into that a little bit? What made you think to even let me write a book? To write a book. Well, excuse me. Oh, um, it's lunchtime over there, right? <laughs> it's lunchtime over here. It's noon. Yeah, I, I, I get Saturdays. I get started slowly. Um, well, you know, so I had been um, studying and practicing meditation and nonviolent communication for um, a couple decades, and um, a publisher approached me. A couple of publishers actually approached me. They had uh, so I do I do write just. Ordinarily, I have a blog and oh, okay. write, write for some other blogs. And they had seen my writing and they were like, hey, we like the way you write. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And so um, so that it was basically an invitation. I was like, yeah, sure. I'd love to write something. And so, so that, was the, that was kind of my area of expertise is this um, uh, uh, you know, communication and, and meditation, this kind of contemplative approach to relationship and communication. So I'm sorry uh, for cutting you off again. That's fine. Go for it. I just, I don't know anything about nonviolent communication. I was like, do yeah. I ask? Do I not ask? I'm going to ask. No, you should ask. Um, all right. Uh, so nonviolent communication was founded by Marshall Rosenberg, um, a Jewish kid who grew up in Detroit during the 40s and 50s, lived through the first wave of race riots there. Uh, okay. 
and got very interested in psychology and human nature and ended up systematizing this approach to communication. Um, that's, that's essentially, it's really a, um, an awareness practice. It's, about tra- it's, it's a tool for understanding ourselves uh, and other people and life in a way that makes it easier to work together. Okay. So it, it takes a perspective of shared human values and human needs and teaches the teaches you to learn how to understand and translate things into um, uh, deeper objectives and and sh- and shared purpose, shared human needs, so that um, we can relate to ourselves, each other in more effective ways. And so it's a whole, it's both a communication technique and also kind of an internal training of awareness and, and thought for how you understand yourself and other people. And the oh, core, so the core kind of component of it is this understanding that human beings are motivated to meet our needs and that we all share the same needs. So even though we have different strategies, we have different ideas, we have different opinions and views. If you go deep enough, if you look deep enough, you will find a core of shared humanity nice. and that that's where we can establish common ground and work together. Got it. And that kind of ties hand in hand with what you're doing on the meditation side. Oh, it's very interesting. Exactly, exactly. So it's this way of actually translating the meditation into action and into relationship, which is why I found it so helpful and powerful. So, so I wrote this book called Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. That's kind of the synthesis of everything I've been learning and studying and practicing over the last 20 years. It kind of brings together these different streams of practice in a very kind of step-by-step field guide to, to changing your communication and your relationships. And um, actually, if you don't have a copy, I'd bring you one next time I come out. Yeah, excellent. Okay. And, um, and so, yeah, when you first reached out, my book had just come out last year and I was on a book tour. So the first six months of this year were very full with initially the book tour and then doing a lot of podcasts and interviews and things to promote the book. So, got it. Got yeah. it. Was it a long process? Did it take Writing a- it? Yeah. You know, it came together pretty quickly as far as these things go because I had, I knew what I wanted to say and had been, um, kind of working on the material for so long and teaching it that it came out relatively easily. So, okay. Yeah. So for, for all of the thousands of people listening to this podcast out there, yes, the, uh, the book is called say what you mean, a mindful approach to nonviolent communication. And you can find it at bookstores everywhere and you can learn more about me, Orin J. Sofer on social media at Orin J. Sofer or on my website, orinjsofer.com. And that's J-A-Y, O-R-E-N-J-A-Y, sofa.com. This was wonderful. I'm so glad. Awesome. I wish we could have done it nine months earlier, but I'm glad we were finally able to get together yeah. and do this. This is a real pleasure. Me too, man. And let's uh, let's get up next time I'm out in Jersey. Maybe Absolutely. Can come over to the girls' place. We can all yeah, kick it together. Yeah, come visit you and Pops. I didn't know you were – I didn't realize – I grew up in West Orange before we oh. got Orange. So, oh. yeah, that's my old stomping ground. There so. you go. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, brother. All right, my friend. Pleasure. You're welcome. Likewise, have, thanks have for the time. Day. Get some food in that belly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll talk soon, all right? All right, Al. Okay, take care. Peace, take care. Bye-bye.